Coming up on a special edition of SBJ Spotlight. All football, all the time. We take an extensive look at the start of the upcoming NFL season. We look at the major business stories, people, and teams to watch around the NFL. And we have an exclusive interview with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who talks about the changing landscape of college sports. I've asked repeatedly, like, where, where's, what's the vision for the end game here? All of that and more on our special football edition of SBJ Spotlight. Hi, I'm Abe Madcor, and welcome to a special edition of SBJ Spotlight. Our episode features all football. We'll look extensively at the start of the NFL season, and we'll also look at the start of the college football season. For the NFL, we'll look at the state of the NFL. We'll look at the business of the league. We'll look at fans returning to stadiums. We'll look at the influx of sports betting and sports betting revenue around the NFL. We'll look at the bullish advertising market around the league and among the media partners. We have all that and we also give our Super Bowl pick for the Super Bowl in Los Angeles during our roundtable discussion. And we look at the college football game and we have an exclusive interview with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who was in Charlotte recently for the Clemson-Georgia game. And he talked about the state of college football and also the upcoming NCAA Constitution Committee that looks to change the governance structure of college sports. We have all of that and more on this special edition, this special football edition of SBJ Spotlight. Joining me now is SBJ football writer Ben Fisher who will also be a member of our roundtable later in the show. But let's talk about the health of the NFL sponsorship business. I believe the NFL has about 41 national level partners, but there is work ahead for Rene Anderson and company as some of the NFL's biggest sponsorships are ending after this season and need to be renewed or replaced. I believe beer, uh, sports drink, soft drink are among those up for renewal. Ben, that's a true challenge to the NFL's value proposition. Right, exactly. And a couple of others to add on there, uh, pizza, hotels. Okay. And uh, you mentioned beer, uh, headphones and consumer electronics. So you put all this together and that's a serious, uh, serious number that they've got to get. And as exciting and as, uh, as, as optimistic as all the business talk is around the NFL between the new media rights and the gambling deals, these are just a more complex story that it's these are mature business lines. They're they're companies and categories that have been active for generations. And there's less obviously a case to be made for big increases. You know, this isn't cryptocurrency or sports books where there's this land rush for market share. It's not at all clear, especially in an era of generally declining TV viewership that you know, it's, it's, it's worth it to a Pepsi to stick with the NFL at a substantial increase. So look, I, I don't bet against the NFL getting their number, but um, there are hard questions at the tables here. Um, and it's not at all the same situation as some of the newer categories that they've been so creative in getting. And so much negotiations about leverage, Ben, you hit on it a little bit there, but you know, the brand certainly coming off a of COVID season, coming off a lot of make goods, coming off a lot of, uh, I would say restructured contracts, probably feel they have a little bit more or a lot more leverage in this negotiation. Yeah, I think that's a, a safe state statement. That is That reflects both uh, just a presumption of looking at the market. You know, Some of these companies are so consolidated. I mean, there's really only two, yeah. maybe three mm -hmm. beer buyers, mm -hmm. um, same, in, same in soft drinks. 
uh, pizza and hotels are a little bit more flexible, but also, you know, it reflects conversations we have uh, with people in the industry who, who say that, um, you know, somebody will be the sponsor in beer for the NFL, but whether it's necessarily, a, you know, a double digit increase like we're used to talking to about in the NFL, that's, that's another question altogether. You know, Ben, another area of, I would say, revenue uh, growth is in looking at international markets. And they've added an RFP process for teams to almost request or bid for rights to international markets. What's the latest you can tell us on that? You know, it's a little bit of a moving target, which is a little unlike the NFL to be so flexible on this, but sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's referred to as an RFP. Sometimes it's just a proposal. Sometimes it's just a request for ideas. And there's this flexibility that's inherent in the project where if one team says, we love Germany, but we have to do X, Y, and Z. And another team says, we love Australia, but we have to do P, Q, and R. The league seems inclined to, to allow that to happen. Um, the, what they mostly want to have happen out of this process is in calendar year 2022, um, they want to have half to two-thirds of the league being active and trying to develop fan bases in different markets overseas. And they believe that all 32 will benefit greatly from that and that the teams can do things the league simply couldn't do in these overseas markets. And you nailed it. The league wants to see the teams actually invest and activate in those markets all in an effort to grow a fan base. Because when you grow the fan base, then you can leverage that growth with new revenue opportunities. I mean, that's the puzzle, right? With relatively small investments, they can get maybe a lot a lot of revenue out of these markets. And to be clear, with the exception of Germany, we're not talking about new games. And I think the overwhelming amount of coverage of the NFL internationally has been about the international series, the actual competitions in Mexico City and London. There are so many teams worth watching this year, both on and off the field. I could think of the Cowboys. They did that big deal with Miller this week. I could think of the Miami Dolphins as they look to bring F1 to Miami. What's a team, a franchise you're keeping your eye on? People sometimes tell me that the hardest job in sports business is to be the second team in a big market. And the Los Angeles Chargers face a year where we're going to get a lot of answers about the wisdom of their move their relocation north we're going to see just what the demand is for the chargers in the new home and they've worked hard and there's some, been some creative things going on there with the chargers in terms of business development and sales but uh, you know over the next few weeks we're going to find out a lot about them so all eyes on the second story if you will in los angeles for here that's a good one i had not thought of the chargers ben we'll see you again in a few minutes for the nfl roundtable thanks Ed. Now we're bringing in SBJ media writer John Aran. John, let's talk about the media marketplace around the NFL. We know the new TV deals aren't kicking in yet, but the networks are all very bullish on the prospects for the NFL season. You know, it struck me when CBS Sports President Sean McManus told you the network has never been in a better position with respect to sales, and they sold more inventory during the upfront around the NFL than they ever have before. And McManus has been with CBS for 25 years, almost three decades. And uh, Sean is ge generally not one to overstate things, Abe. But that kind of grand comment, that really, that sounded too much. But when I checked in with Fox, same story. NBC, same story. ESPN, same story. They all describe the most red hot ad sales marketplace, really for all of sports this fall, but especially for the NFL. And what makes this, particularly interesting to me is that the auto category just hasn't shown up. It's lukewarm at best. Interesting. I mean, we, we've all read the stories about the supply chain problems with the auto business right now. I mean, it's a, the reason I'm stuck with a 2012 Toyota Highlander out there. You can't, I can't trade it in and get it, get anything back. 
Uh, but the auto category used to drive the sports TV ad, ad sales business, not this year. And the, ad, the networks are still, they, they have money coming out of their ears. But the driver of this inventory is really around sports betting. I heard there's also the movie industry. Some other industries are really driving some of these strong sales, correct? The movie industry has, has come in uh, pretty hard. Uh, and so they're, they're going to be uh, particularly good. But sports betting, yeah. right now the networks can only sell uh, by NFL mandate six spots per game to sports books or to, to gambling companies. Those spots went so quickly and there was, uh, there was so much activity around them, it just tightened up the entire rest of the, uh, 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 of the ad sales marketplace there. Another one, keep your eye on cryptocurrency. Yeah, right. they're, they're not doing a lot uh, immediately. Uh, Crypto.com just uh, has a presenting sponsorship with Fox Sports's uh, post-game show in college. They're going to do some NFL stuff, but you're going to see more and more. They're sitting on the sidelines, and every network tells me that they're they're waiting in the same way. They just want to get a mind share. They they, they want to get their name out there, and that's going to be a huge category in the, over the next year or two. Well, John, it sounds like a lot of things are aligned. We'll have to see how it plays out. John, we'll chat with you later on our special NFL edition Insiders Roundtable later in the show. They set the expectations high. Let's see if they meet them, Abe. See you later. Bill, a lot of talk about how the NFL season opens up to sportsbooks and with sportsbooks able to advertise for the first time. But there's a lot of downstream implications. What are you looking at? What should viewers be keeping their eye on? Well, I mean, I think first is the striking nature of the fact that they're that they're in there buying national spots when only 30% of the country as of Thursday night, 30% of legal adults will be able to bet, you know, at home on their phone online, wherever. So you're buying, you're paying for 100% of the country when you're only getting 30%. And so why is that? Why is it? Why is it they finally, you know, have have sort of moved past that because until very, very recently, what you heard again and again and again was these were regional buys. This was not a national product. What happened was, is when the NFL opened up the category and they, and they went out in, in May and started talking about the availability, all of a sudden you saw the sauce, you saw the sports books, you saw the three that have their, you know, have their official deals with the NFL, but then you saw four others that will be authorized operators who will be able to also buy. So now you've got seven sports books, six spots per game, it's expensive real estate, right? It's the most expensive real estate in sports television. And I just find it fascinating that this is, we're, we're seeing what is, what is such a, 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 really an immature market diving into what is the most expensive advertising in, in television. This is customer acquisition season. This is when people sign up. It's the NFL season. If you don't have a sports book account and you're in a legal state, this is when you're going to get one. So they want to be there front and center and not just during Sunday being in the game. They really think that's important. And so you will see Caesars, FanDuel, DraftKings, right? The three officials, you're going to see BetMGM as well. You're going to see PointsBet, which has committed media with NBC. So you'll, you'll, you'll see them out there. And then also you have, you have Win, and of course you have FoxBet, which will be on Fox. So you have, those are your seven. And Win is probably, Win has the smallest, Win and FoxBet have the smallest footprints, right? FoxBet has Fox though. So you're going to see them. When, you know, we'll see, we'll see how much they really do nationally, but they have the ability to do it. And of course they have a big campaign that we, that we wrote about recently with, uh, with Ben Affleck and Shaquille O'Neal. It's more basketball themed, but you could see it this year. We move on now to between the wider hash marks. The college football season started in earnest over the weekend. 
and some major issues around the collegiate landscape are starting to come more into focus. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey recently spoke to SBJ while in Charlotte for the Clemson-Georgia game, and SBJ college writer Michael Smith has this report. As the Duke's Mayo Classic between Georgia and Clemson was set to kick off, Greg Sankey was ready for action, and the SEC Commissioner noted that health and safety priorities will keep that action going this season. I think our responsibility from the conference office starts with our teams, uh, the participants, the coaches. Um, we've had protocols adopted last year, uh, redeveloped, given that we have vaccines. Our vaccine rates are at the highest of any cohort in the country. Um, our fans have to accept that responsibility as well. We want people to be healthy. We want to have the fun back in college football, but we have to be attentive to the environment. In an effort to enhance some of that fun, over the summer, the SEC led a serious shift in the intercollegiate landscape. With Texas and Oklahoma set to join the league by 2025, Sankey has seen the fruits of his labor. It's a reflection on a vision that I, I discussed with our presidents and chancellors back in 2015 that we want to achieve a level of success athletically. We want to see the continuing progress of our universities, which is, has taken place in this region across the country, and actually global impacts. And, and I think that speaks well of fulfilling that vision that both the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas re re reach out to us and want to be affiliated with the Southeastern Conference. The addition of Texas and Oklahoma provide those compelling matchups that have become more and more important in, in our future. And so we're, we're highly attentive to fan interest, and I know our programs will continue to adapt to those interests and those needs. Another thing college fans will have their eye on is the future of the NCAA. The governing body has set a constitution committee to better define college sports and propose a new governance model. Sankey is hoping that means a clear direction. Just taking an NCAA constitution and say it's going to change, that's a pretty blunt statement. But there are specific needs. We need the decision-making authority for our athletic programs, given our unique circumstance. We have colleagues with whom we need to participate in decision-making. And the, the resources, the expectations, the economics around our athletic programs are vastly different than the majority of Division I. I think that's an important change. Um, where it goes, I think, remains to be seen. For Sports Business Journal, I'm Michael Smith. Coming up next, we'll go deeper into the start of the NFL season. We'll look at the issues, the teams, and the personalities to watch, and the Insiders Roundtable will give their Super Bowl prediction. All that coming up next on SBJ Spotlight. The NFL kicks off its 102nd season this week, and there is great optimism. Strong early season ticket renewals, a robust advertising marketplace, the league is fresh off a new collective bargaining agreement with its players, and extended media deals with its partners. It has a number of interesting storylines on the field. The Bucks and Brady looking for a repeat. Great optimism in the nation's second largest market with the Rams. The Bills have their eyes on a super season, and the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes look very strong yet again. Plus, you have buzz around the Cowboys, which is always positive for business. Yes, the pandemic still needs to be navigated, 
and the league surely wishes the percentage of players vaccinated was higher. And there is concern about a spike in positive cases among players during the season. But the overall tone and buzz is positive and one of optimism. And it could be one of the best seasons for business in quite some time, if not ever. We have insiders to talk about all aspects of the NFL's business. Kager CEO Jessica Gelman and SBJ's John Aran and Ben Fisher, who covers the NFL for us. Welcome to each of you. And first, let's talk about the fan. Early ticket sales, like I said, are promising. In late August, the NFL said the season ticket renewal rate was at a very robust 92%, equaling a five-year high. You also have the significance of fans at SoFi Stadium in L.A. and Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. That can't be overlooked. Jessica, I want to start with you. What are you looking for among trend lines when it comes to NFL attendance this season? Well, the NFL still is a juggernaut. If we're looking at sell-through of tickets from the preseason, it was only off 3% from 2019. The other leagues were averaging uh, 15 to 12% less sell-through than in previous years. And I'm talking about sell-through, not attendance, because many of the other leagues had capacity constraints. I think the NFL is in great shape this year. Obviously, we have the Delta variant that's causing some, their concerns, our Kager Future of Live Events and, uh, and Sports Report. Uh, has shown fan demand is off 12% uh, this past week, which is concerning because of the increase in COVID cases. So that is concerning, but I think people are really excited to get back. We saw what the college uh, football attendance looked like this past weekend, and people are eager to be back cheering on their teams, and especially with the two new venues opening, it's going to be a great start to the season. You know, something that um, many team executives, general counsels in particular, said to me that they are excited slash anxious about the unknown of filling the stadium again for the first time since the pandemic entered our lives. They, they, they see the ticket stats. They, they are generally very optimistic that they will continue to sell tickets. and There won't be some sort of material drop off in demand. But as, as, as one general counsel said to me last Friday, this is the first time we've had 60, 70, 80,000 of our fans in one place with eyeballs on them. And questions like, how does your average fan react to a mask mandate or to a vaccine mandate? Now, not last year, these are very evolving things. And last year, they're more black and white. The government said you could only have so many people in buildings. Now we're into this more um, difficult to pin down environment and every team is gonna be watching closely to see how their fans and their city reacts to this current environment we're in. And they're optimistic, but there's a little bit of apprehension about what they're actually gonna see on Sunday. Well, if I can just jump in there, the resale price of tickets is uh, up from 2019, about 15 to 20%. Now the data can be a little skewed, of course, because we have Vegas opening their new venue mm. and that is a very unique new component to the NFL this year. But that said, the interest is there. I agree that it will be difficult to tell until we're actually all in the building uh, starting this weekend. John Aran, a full building, certainly good for the media partners filming these games. Abe, the knock-on effect of having full stadiums totally affects the, the TV networks. They are, that's something that they really, really, really want. They, uh, TV ratings last season were down about 7%. Uh, which was a huge win for the NFL. But the NFL uh, broadcasters now think that with full stadiums, with the crowd, all of a sudden you're, we're going to see a big bump in, in ratings, probably as, uh, possibly as much as, as 10%. Whoa. The idea is that the, the NFL networks 
view this as a, a TV show. And if you have a TV show without an interested crowd, without sort of a soundtrack, the roar of the stadium, it just doesn't resonate as well and, and fewer people uh, uh, tune in. And they, they think with full crowds, with the regular schedule, with all of these storylines that, that are going into this season, they're expecting really big things. You know, another thing the pandemic accelerated is use of mobile. In preseason, 98% of fans have used a mobile ticket. That's up from 67% in 2019. It shouldn't be surprising because teams have mandated that fans have to use mobile ticketing pretty much in every market. So the numbers are skewed that way. But Jess and Ben, I'll start with you. It certainly gives teams a good read on how fans are using their tickets. Right. I think that um, the teams in the league know exponentially more than they did about the people who are sitting in those seats than they did even just a few years ago. And I'll let Jess handle this. This is her bread and butter at Kager. But, um, you know, they, they know they know every person, not just the person that bought the tickets for the for the group. And that has, uh, you know, potentially revolutionary implications for the value of sponsorships and how they go about developing new fans over time and get more get more out of the people who have already bought. 50 to 60% of tickets are being transferred right now. And so if you think about the net number where we average probably about 60% mobile uh, a few years ago, up to now 98%, which is correct, Abe, that is just a massive increase in knowledge and insights. And most importantly, the ability to engage those fans and those customers directly. And so as we look at some of the big changes that are happening in sports this year and what's going to happen for the NFL in particular, gambling, I think, will accelerate massively. Have you done any research that's based, based on whether or not fans like this move to mobile ticketing? I know that, 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 that uh, I would love to meet that 2% of people that actually use paper tickets. I, I can't imagine that they're there because they, they kept pushing the, the mobile ticketing. There is a huge education uh, uh -huh. for, the, for the fans that the teams have to do that they've been undertaking. And it's everything from videos to, uh, I mean, many of the fans have to have had to upgrade their, upgrade their phones, which is pretty yep. interesting. Yep. And the other component is that a lot of teams made massive investments. We've talked about this before in their infrastructure in the off season to enable uh, better Wi-Fi, 5G, and also at, when you're entering the venues, they have more, more of what you would have at airports where you can scan uh, and not necessarily need to, to engage directly with the person for the ticket scanning portion of, of the process. Now, the challenge is gonna be the potential delays at the gates as a result of, of the mobile ticketing, which we did see in the preseason. And I think, again, the importance of having the information of people who have attend who are attending from a mobile ticketing perspective is critical to encourage people to get to games earlier because the lines are going to be longer to get in. We saw that at air at airlines at planes this past year, um, and this is going to be this first this first week might be um, uh, pretty negative in some potential places if the teams are not messaging correctly. And Ben, to follow up on that, you had a great story recently where you reported that the NFL's database has grown to about 120 million names, uh, which is about almost 70% of the 178 million Americans over the age of 12 who claim to follow the NFL. And in the past year, they grew that database by 13 million names. So not only do they have a good insight on their fans for renewals, they also have this deep database of names to target new buyers. And to be clear, that is driven heavily by ticketing and more people having the mobile ticket with the identifiable information. But personally, I think the most interesting part of that database are the names are getting from places other than ticketing because they tend to be entirely new fans. One of the most valuable sources of those new names in that database is 
EA Sports, people who play Madden and maybe declare the Kansas City Chiefs as their favorite team in Madden. That goes straight back to the league. They could be thousands of miles from Kansas City, but they still show up in the database through that. And, and that is that is putting a different spin on this, that yes, ticket sales are important, but that database is allowing teams to think much more broadly about who their fans are. Every league always says a very small percentage of the fans actually attend live games. I was going to say, I agree. You're only going to have somewhere to 100 and 150,000 people who are actually attending a live game. And it, the, the viewership and the engagement with the sport outside through partnerships, through TV, through, through EA Madden, those are all what's going to really drive it. And that's why, again, gambling really being, we saw a huge increase last year in gambling. Um, I think just taking New Jersey as an example, the handle for football, not just the NFL, but college as well, went from 4.6 to 6 billion. And so it'll be very interesting to see this year what it's going to look like when we have more consistency with the NFL schedule, more people engaged attending games, because I think even the social components of saying, hey, I'm going to the game, people are, I mean, there were times last year I was like, oh, there's a game, just the timing, because you're not actually engaged in going, it's going to be very different. You're talking to your friends, you're planning. So I think we're going to see a, a huge increase in, in gambling and engagement and a lot, a lot more net new fans too. That was an argument for many network executives that legalized gambling was going to increase engagement and therefore increase ratings and viewership. Can't say we've seen a lot of that correlation, but I do want to circle back with Ben because, Ben, I do want to talk about the on-field competition aspect of this. A very connected source suggested to me they wouldn't be surprised to see NFL games forfeited this season. How do you think the virus will impact competition and scheduling? Well, it's a bit of an unknown because with with 93 percent of the league vaccinated, I think it's safe to say that the actual health risk to teams now is much lower than it was last year. I think the the ceiling, if you will, for how bad something gets is probably quite a bit lower than it was in 2020. But vaccinated people obviously can still get COVID. And if they test positive, they still can miss games. There's no necessary guarantee that vaccines translates to less time lost. And at least at the moment, they still aren't doing daily testing anymore. And, and most people would say that one of the key factors to the, the high wire act they did last year was daily testing because they had a high degree of confidence about who was currently infected with the virus or not. This year, the union is pushing them, but so far that hasn't happened yet. So while in a sense, the worst case scenario seems to be a lot less worse than it was last year, there's a lot of scenarios in which games and the schedule could, could still be substantially disrupted. I think one difference there too is that everyone is much more comfortable with that. A year ago today, we weren't sure if players gave each other the virus while playing on the field of play. Now we're pretty certain that doesn't happen. And a year ago last year, we thought it was weird and virtually impossible to take a Monday game and put it on Tuesday. Now we know we can do that and it's not the end of the world. So I think people are more relaxed about it, but I don't disagree with your source. There's still a substantial variable there. Ben, last year there was a game on Thursday night that got pushed all the way till the next Wednesday. Is that something that this season we could see some, see a delay that long or is the NFL uh, more, more likely to just cancel that game and forfeit it? Well, I think they would still avoid a cancellation or a forfeit at all costs. I mean, that's every every dollar every, every game is part of the media rights package that 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 funds the whole operation. Um, I think that it's that sort of um, extended delay is less likely because now vaccinated players can return to a locker room with two negative tests rather than a minimum timeout like last year. And certainly the threat of a forfeit was driven as leverage to get more and more players vaccinated. And that has certainly been a message from Commissioner Goodell on down. Well, moving on, we have talked about two franchises 
facing significant off-the-field opportunities or challenges. First, the ownership of the Denver Broncos is one of the most talked-about stories in the league. 31-year-old Brittany Bolin has challenges in leading this storied franchise, including two older stepsisters and an uncle who want either more involvement or a team sale. Sources close to Brittany Bolin are encouraging her to develop allies among fellow owners and gain the support she may need to ward off any family challenges. Ben Fisher, you've covered this story really better than anyone on the business side. What are you looking at when it comes to the Broncos' future? I think they're going to try to avoid making too much news during the season, but I have been told to expect some movement on this front um, end of October into the halfway point of the season. We might learn more about where we stand. As you know, the essential unknown right now, and to all their credit, they, nobody has leaked so far, whether the trial that the sisters canceled this summer, whether the cancellation of that trial means that there is a grand deal regarding the long-term future of the team, or whether they just settled that one particular detail and they're still working it out with an NFL arbitrator. Um, I don't know what exactly we should expect. I think you should probably expect less rather than more and hard information during the year. But I do have reason to believe that by Thanksgiving, we're gonna have a little bit more clarity on this front and we might be able to map out the next few years for Brittany and the rest of the Bolins. And I think we'd all get a sense, anyone weigh in here, but certainly if the Broncos are put up for sale, this would be a team sale that would probably top all others and certainly top the Panthers' most recent $2.7 billion deal to David Tepper. I mean, Ben, wouldn't you agree a, a franchise of this stature? Right, right. And, you know, nothing against the franchises that have traded in recent years. They're all NFL teams. They're all highly valuable. But the Broncos seem to check some boxes as a particularly high value driver. They've got this very large um, geographic footprint in the middle of the country. It's a short, And these are the sorts of things that matter to, to billionaires who might want to have a, a hobby outside of their home city. It's not that far from the West Coast. It's not that far from the East Coast. They Until this year, they had been on Monday Night Football 34 consecutive years. I may not have that precisely right. They're a national brand in every sense of the term. Um, they haven't been particularly good lately, but I still think it's, you know, one of those flagship brands you think of and the short list of teams that really make up the, the heart and soul of the NFL. There's every reason to believe this would, would drive an extraordinary price if it were sold out of the family. And the Broncos have an incredibly strong and loyal fan base. They've had great luck engaging net new partners like Abata to do some unique advertising and marketing in venue. And I believe that they're going to have uh, significant value as an asset for any new owner who's looking to uh, purchase. You know, one other team that we've talked about being in the hot category this year, and John Aran, it impacts you because a lot of networks have their attention on the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills have put forth a plan for a $1.4 billion new stadium across from their current Highmark Stadium. And time is of the essence here. They're negotiating with the county and state officials on a deal. Ben, I want to start with you again. Do you feel there is sentiment in that region for public funding to help the bill's plans? Uh, yes, absolutely. I don't mean to oversimplify these things. These are large dollar figures and complicated negotiations. But every indication we've gotten is that there will be a deal one way or another um, to put it to, to be a little glib new york democrats are not california democrats they're usually happy to do a deal for a company as long as the terms make some semblance of sense there's very little philosophical objection to giving sports team subsidies in, in new york some things that help them is the new governor in new york is a buffalo native 
and uh, certainly would like to bolster her, her rear guard heading into a possible campaign for a turn of her own next year. Um, and, and the comments from legislatures have been not 100%, but we are happy to provide something to the bills. And then you throw in the recent remarks from Roger Goodell and Jerry Jones, you know, emphasizing that, that staying put is a priority to them. Um, good indications at this point that one way or another, they'll get a deal done to stay in Buffalo. But you know, it hasn't actually happened yet. So you have to take that possibility seriously of a relocation. It's unthinkable that the, the, the bills could possibly leave Buffalo, but there is going to come at some point where the amount of money to publicly finance a stadium is going to get too big to where there really is going to be backlash, even in a football crazed uh, market like, like Buffalo. I don't think it'll happen this time, but it's, it feels to me just like Olympic bidding cities almost. It, it, and, and once they get too high, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I think you're right about that, John, that uh, the numbers are so much higher than they were even five or 10 years ago. Some of the coverage out of the general interest media about the Buffalo Stadium is using it as comps, uh, Minnesota and Atlanta and MetLife. And those are more or less valid comps, but, you know, MetLife is a long time ago in the world of stadium construction. So, you know, what, what may be a reasonable number in the context of 2021 you know, the, the public's understanding of what's a reasonable number may be five to 10 years behind, not unlike an Olympic bidding. So there could be some sticker shock there. I'll add two more points here. The Pakula family as owners have really invested into the community and obviously own multiple professional sports team in the area. And I think that has a huge impact in terms of getting support uh, from the community. The second thing is there's so much opportunity to generate net new revenues from a new stadium. I wonder if perhaps some of the rules around uh, where venues and Super Bowls are played could change as a result of this type of a significant investment by uh, Buffalo. It is interesting. It's a really fascinating case study because you're right, John Oran, it does seem unthinkable that the Bills could ever relocate out of upstate New York. But when you really dig into the size of that market and compare it to other markets that do not have an NFL franchise, you see just how small and limiting the Buffalo market can be and a challenge for any team owner. But I agree with Jess, the Pagulas have rightly earned a lot of goodwill in that marketplace through their investments and through their, I would say, amplification of the Buffalo marketplace. These are negotiations I am not taking my eye off. So can we all play Karnak the Magnificent for just a second? Can we now? I read this week where the experienced and well-respected NFL reporter Peter King offered his thoughts for his Super Bowl pick in Los Angeles, February 13th, 2022. His pick, the Rams, 33, the Bills, 24. Now, before you just say, oh, everybody has a Super Bowl pick, let's look at Peter King's recent preseason Super Bowl matchups that he made always before the start of the season. And if you look at that list, he's pretty good. But as someone who covers the league as much as he does, I guess he should be. So Jess, Ben, John, I'm going to come to you. What's your Super Bowl pick? I can't tell you how much I want to pick Tom Brady again. Ah, But that would make you insufferable, Abe. No offense. So <laughs> I'm going to go with my wife's hometown Browns which is gonna lose a nail biter to the Cowboys in February. CeeDee Lamb, MVP, two touchdowns, uh, catching one touchdown running. Why do I have so many rolled eyes in this production room? They just can't believe that pick. Jess Gelman, <laughs> who are you going with? First, I want to think it's improbable that the home team that's uh, hosting the Super Bowl could win two years in a row. So I'm just gonna call oh. that one out. I'm gonna go with Seattle. 
uh, beating the Bills in the Super Bowl this year. And I think that's going to help the Bills with their efforts to get this stadium built. Ben Fisher. Yeah, I wish I could be more creative, but I agree the Bills have not, uh, could not have done this stadium timing better. There's, uh, I've, I've never seen a fan base so excited about their team as the Buffalo Bills people right now. I think they're going to be um, justified in that excitement. I think Josh Allen still has another step or two of improvement before we get to see what his real ceiling is. I like the Bills coming out of the AFC and in uh, the NFC. I, as long as Tom Brady is on an active NFL roster, I'll never pick again to see him lose. So I guess by default, it's uh, it's Brady over Allen in the Super Bowl. Interesting. You're half right, Ben Fisher. I'm taking <laughs> the first NFL rookie to win a Super Bowl. Mac Jones will lead the New England Patriots <laughs> over Tom Brady and the Shocker! Shocker! <laughs> in Los Angeles, you heard it here first, and the game will be the all-time highest-rated broadcast in television history. <laughs> Absolutely, that will be. There you go. So that wraps up our special NFL Insiders Roundtable. Thank you to Jess, Ben, and John for joining us. Thanks to all of you for watching us on Spotlight. Send us your Super Bowl pick. We love to hear from you. So please email us your thoughts, questions, and comments directly to Spotlight at sportsbusinessjournal.com. We'll see you again in two weeks for another look at the key issues in sports business. Enjoy the start of the NFL season. Take care of yourself and we'll see you down the road.